I would think that many of you would know the name Jack Zimmerman, Rabbi Jack Zimmerman, because he was our guest about a year ago here on NBL. Maybe it was earlier this year. Yeah, I think it was earlier this year when he was in Welland, Ontario, spoke at Rose City Kids and, you know, had many of you had the opportunity to hear him live and in person. He also joined us live on WDCX. And so he's back with us today to talk about what's going on in Israel uh, Rabbi Jack Zimmerman, thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us. How are you? I'm wonderful, Neil, and thank you so much for having me back on the show. We certainly have a lot to talk about today in the midst of a uh, what looks to be a protracted war between Israel and Hamas. So thank you for having me come. Yeah. Now, for many in North America, we don't understand, you know, who Hamas is. Like you might say that, you know, if Israel was at war with Iran, for instance, well, we say, okay, that's a country. I know who they are. But Hamas is a terrorist organization. So help us understand the significance of who this group is. Exactly. And I appreciate the question. The Hamas is, as you accurately described, a terrorist group whose primary goal is to annihilate the Jewish people, and and essentially, as they even say in their charter, wipe them out into the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, the Hamas terrorist group gets a lot of support because they believe that the land of Israel belongs to them. Uh, and so what their goal has been from the very, very beginning is to essentially honor as they feel their God, Allah, and come back and take over Israel. So I, I'm saying this just to set the stage for the fact that while there are many people who talk negotiation, you can't have a discussion about negotiation with the other party if the other party not only does not recognize your right to exist, but wants you annihilated, wiped off the face of the earth. Uh, Hamas was uh, basically conceived by the, the Muslim Brotherhood in Egypt, and uh, unfortunately, Hamas even though in, uh, in the, uh, uh, the territories, if you will, in Israel's neighbors, which some refer to as the occupied territories, and, and by the way, that's a misnomer. Uh, these territories, yes, are occupied, but by the wrong people mm -hmm. and by the wrong countries. Uh, you know, if you read Genesis 15:18, for example, God said to Abraham, I've made a covenant with you to give your descendants this land, and this land goes all the way from the Great River of Egypt, that's the Nile, to the Euphrates River in Iraq. That's a long stretch of land. And, Neil, if you look at Numbers chapter 34, it connects the dots of the full border, if you will. Israel right now is, quote-unquote, occupying less than one-tenth of that land. Nine-tenths of that land is being occupied, but it's being occupied by someone else. That's fascinating to know. And when let's go back for a minute. What you started by saying that it's the goal of Hamas, a publicly stated goal, to wipe Israel off the map, to do away with the Jewish people. Someone said earlier that sounds kind of Hitler-esque. I mean, we're talking about apparently in this world, people talk about tolerance and diversity and the need to respect one another. It's, I don't hear any of that in that kind of a statement. They're literally their goal would be not just to drive the Jewish people out of the nation of Israel, but to kill them? Exactly. Hamas essentially wants Israel gone and wants all of the Jews dead. There is no negotiation. There is no other alternative plan. 
that has been their stated goal from the very beginning. And, and you know, I think one of the reasons it's so tough for many, uh, many Americans to grasp is that in our minds we have this template that other nations or other countries or even other, uh, uh, call them territories or municipalities, must be, must be as, as socially balanced as we are. And that's simply not the case. So we have this, this view in our mind that, of course, everyone desires life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And that's not true. Hamas has stated more than once, while Israel's desire is life, we desire death. We crave it. We long for it. And, and I think that's something that, that our Western minds are not used to hearing for a number of reasons, particularly because of the fact that many of us have never been on the ground in places like Gaza City and Jenin and some of these other towns, if you will, where, which are basically terrorism factories. So let's talk about that for a minute, because Gaza is a portion of land uh, that really probably was part of the original borders of Israel, I would think, right? And then it was sectioned off for these, quote, Palestinians to live in, uh, and there's some kind of a border between, and that border was breached, and terrorists began rushing into Israel as part of a coordinated attack, right? I mean, um, do any, uh, for instance, have you been in Gaza City, or have you ever been in Gaza? I have never been in Gaza. I have been in other areas where there are Palestinians living or those who refer to themselves as Palestinians, such as Bethlehem and such as Jericho. But if you want to understand the mechanics of Gaza, you've really got to go back to the year 2005, because prior to that time, Israelis were living in Gaza. It was considered Israel. And Gaza has always been a very sensitive area because it's at the southern tip of Israel right before you go into Egypt. It's this narrow strip of land along the Mediterranean, very, very densely populated. And there was talk in uh, late 2004 among cabinet uh, ministers in Israel and Israel's then Prime Minister Ariel Sharon. And the thought was, Mr. Prime Minister, look, if we would just give away this spot of land known as the Gaza Strip to the Palestinians, we know that there would be peace. Let's extend an olive branch to them and allow them to come into this land. And at the same time in 2005, and it's interesting, while we were experiencing Hurricane Katrina in 2005 and so many people had to flee their homes, at that same time in 2005, Many Israelis who had settled in the Gaza Strip, not many, but all of them, <clears throat> were forced to leave their homes by the Israeli government, which is a, a, a terrible sacrifice. You're living, imagine living in a home and calling an area your land and going about your daily day, and you have the kids in school. This is where you have a life. And one day the government says, look, we need to take this land and give it, just give it to the Palestinians so that we may have peace. And so essentially what you had, and I'll use the term Judenrein, or Judenrein, or the cleansing of Jews, since you alluded to the Holocaust earlier. In 2005, every Israeli left the Gaza Strip. And in the Gaza Strip, we left greenhouses, we left irrigation systems. And, and this was our way of saying to the Palestinians, look, we're not just going to give you this strip of land, but we're going to give you a business so that when you come in, 
you have something productive that you can use to make money. And this was Israel's way of extending the olive branch and saying, let's see if the two of us can live in peace side by side together. So what happens? The Palestinians move into the Gaza Strip, and the Gaza Strip becomes a launching pad for continual attacks against Israel. And you're seeing the culmination of that today, which is a huge mistake. Now, as a Jew, help us understand the significance of Judaism in all of this. And the reason I say it that way is because I've got to believe there are some Israeli citizens who aren't Jewish. Um, Is this really more about Israel itself as a nation, or is it about the Jewish people? You know, it, it, it really depends on who you ask and what sect of Judaism the person subscribes to. Uh, For example, the vast majority of Jewish people here in the United States tend to be either conservative or reformed. Do they care about Israel only to a point? Uh, First of all, they don't understand the biblical significance necessarily of the land uh, for the very fact that the vast majority of conservative and reformed Jewish people don't read their Bible either on a regular basis or some not at all. So they don't understand God's end-time prophetic plan for the nation of Israel in the first place. Many, many Orthodox Jews have a closer association with the land. And so at least in my estimation, this is my own feeling now, if there's any group of Jews in the United States who are, are truly grieving over what is happening, not only because of political reasons, but because they feel a definite and deeper connection to the Holy Land, it would probably be the Orthodox Jewish community. Uh, Many of the conservative and reformed Jews who I know see Israel as a place to take their son or their daughter when it's time for the respective bar or bat mitzvah. And if that's the only time they visit Israel and that's the only connection they have to Israel, then that's just fine for them. Very interesting. Uh, There was some talk recently, and we're going to take a break here, but about what was called the Revelation 12 prophecy. I'm going to just bring that up for a moment. You uh, are somewhat of an expert on Bible prophecy, and I know that's what you spoke about when you were at Rose City Kids in Welland. Um, At least part of your talk was about that. And I've got some other questions regarding this current conflict, this war in Israel, and whether or not you feel it's biblically significant. We're speaking with um, Rabbi Jack Zimmerman, who pastors a congregation in Phoenix, Arizona, called Tree of Life Congregation. You could look that up online, Tree of Life Congregation, treeoflifecongregation.org, or um, jewishvoice.org. Rabbi Jack is a well-known speaker, and jewishvoice.org is somewhere you could go to learn more about him and his ministry. Our guest is Rabbi Jack Zimmerman of Jewish Voice Ministries. You can learn more by going to jewishvoice.org. He was in town, uh, I believe it was earlier this year, at Rose City Kids in Welland. That was this year, right? Wasn't it May of this year or something? I forget. You know, it was this year. And, uh, in fact, we are in the in the process of planning, uh, uh, planning it again sometime in 2024. And, of course, if and when that happens, we'll let you know. Well, absolutely let us know. And you are always welcome here. We've got an open door for you anytime you happen to be around. And, actually, I guess maybe even... Uh, later this month or something. In the not-too-distant future, you're going to be passing through this area. So if you get a chance, please stop in. Um, We'll look forward to having you. Um, Thank you. Yeah, so tell us about uh, when somebody hears about anything going on in Israel, they often think, wow, is this like prophetically significant? I think we're at a stage where just about everything that happens 
has some prophetic significance, but bring us up to speed on that. Just recently, there was a lot of talk about this Revelation 12 prophecy and the idea that the constellation Virgo had an asteroid passing through its midsection called the child and that it was going to give birth and the harvest moon and all this stuff. And that's just, it's overwhelming for people that don't follow this stuff closely, but from your perspective, what what should we think about all of this, and, and what do you see happening right now, spiritually speaking? Sure, and thank you, Neil. It's, uh, it's good to be back with you, and it's a great question. Revelation 12 obviously has as its center focus a woman <clears throat> who represents Israel. It also has the dragon who represents Satan. This woman gives birth to a child, and this child, if you will, uh, refers to Jesus. It says, uh, for example, in Revelation, <clears throat> now a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of 12 stars. The 12 stars, by the way, a representation of the 12 tribes of Israel. And the child she gives birth to, of course, is Jesus, the king of Israel, the epitome of Israel. And in this, this story, you have essentially the devil or the dragon waiting for this child to be born, because once this child is born, he wants to snatch this child up. <clears throat> and, of course, the events that follow show, obviously, that Jesus has the victory over the devil. Israel will have the victory over her enemies, because God tells us that there will be a new heaven and a new earth. But, you know, of, of course, what's going on is prophetic, if for no other reason <clears throat> then what uh, Jesus told us in the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24, 6, there will be wars and there will be rumors of wars. Now, on the one hand, we've always had those. Ever since you've had the existence of man, you've had conflict. Uh, but as I've been watching and looking at the signs and what's happening, I can't remember a time where you have had so many wars and so many conflicts to this particular degree. And I think the Israel-Hamas conflict only adds to that. And right now, of course, what we also have are many people asking not only about Revelation 12, but could this be, could this be the Psalm 83 coalition of 10 nations coming against Israel? And or could this be the Ezekiel War or the War of Gog and Magog? So I, I just want to speak to those for a few minutes. Sure. And I always want to give a measured response on something like this because uh, to me— I think it's great that we're asking these, these questions about prophecy, but I would tell anyone at this juncture, don't reach any conclusions yet. I think if we do, it would probably be, be tantamount to uh, having the kids in the car and the kids saying, uh, you know, mom and dad, are we there yet? And dad turns <laughs> around and responds by saying, uh, uh, well, kids, I just backed the car out of the garage. Yeah. I think it's too, uh, you, you know, it's too early to tell. This war is going in only to its third day. But it's interesting who the players are right now and who the players could be. Uh, for example, some years ago, a gentleman by the name of Bill Salas wrote a book called Israelistine in Psalm 83, and he identified what he feels are the 10 nations or 10 groups that Psalm 83 says will be a coalition of nations who come against Israel. Now listen to this. He says, for example, in Psalm 83, where it says it speaks of the tents of Eden, uh, of Edom, he says that's speaking about Palestinians and southern Jordanians. Now right now, obviously, you have Palestinians coming against Israel. Jordanians, no, there's a peace treaty. The Ishmaelites uh, are mentioned in Psalm 83. 
This is key. This is interesting because if Salas is correct and the Israelites are the Saudis, uh, that's something very, very close that we need to look at because, as many of you might know, Israel right now has been in negotiations for a peace deal or a normalization of relations with Saudi Arabia to add Saudi Arabia to be the next country to join Israel with the Abraham Accords. Right now you have Morocco, Sudan, Bahrain, and the United Arab Emirates. And the concern is that because of what's going on right now, that the peace deal with Saudi Arabia has to be put on hold because a number of Saudis, including their foreign minister, are siding with the Palestinians on this one, saying that the Palestinians' rights have been violated. Psalm 83 also speaks of Moab. Again, Palestinians, yes. Central Jordanians right now know. The Hagrites, listen to this, that's Egypt. Egypt recently came out in favor of the Palestinians. It mentions Gibal or Biblos. That's what's going on right now. That refers, according to his book, to Hezbollah and northern Lebanon. And I think it's more than just coincidence that this past Sunday, Hezbollah fired rockets into northern Israel. You have Ammon, that's the Palestinians and the northern Jordanians. So yes on one, not yet on the other. Uh, Amalek, the Arabs of the Sinai area. We've already seen some back and forth skirmishes several years ago when actually ISIS came up from the Sinai Peninsula and was firing in Israel. Listen to this one, though. It gets even more interesting. Celia mm-hmm. Thea mentioned in Psalm 83. Salah says that's talking about, you ready? Hamas of the Gaza Strip. And of course, we know that that's what's going on right now. Tyre would be Hezbollah in southern Lebanon and Assyria, the Syrians and northern Iraqis. And of course, Iran and Iraq both have pledged their support and stand behind the Palestinians. So, so it, you know, it's interesting that we have these players coming together in Psalm 83. Would I give a timeline on this? Absolutely not. Why? Uh, because it was thousands of years ago that the prophet Joel said the day of the Lord is nigh, and, uh, you know, here we are more than 2,000 years later, and it still hasn't come. Fascinating stuff that you're describing there. And by the way, I want to mention, uh, Lord willing, this conversation that you're listening to right now, uh, by the time we finish the conversation, uh, we'll have a link uh, you can click on on our Facebook page. Go to WDCX Radio on Facebook, click on that link, and be able to listen back to this conversation with Rabbi Jack Zimmerman, because I'm sure that as he whizzed through the names of each of those different groups, you were as intrigued as I was, and you want to go back and listen again, you can do that at WDCX Radio on Facebook. So find somebody with Facebook and click on that link. And by the way, that's a shareable link, so you can you know, send it via text message to your friends, whatever. Um, okay, so... I get what you're saying. And by the way, I appreciate what you're saying. I mean, thousands of years have transpired and people were saying the day of the Lord is nigh. Uh, um, So that might have the opposite effect, though, where somebody says, ah, you know, it's not a big deal. But aren't we supposed to, as believers, be watching for the return of the Lord and be paying attention to things like wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes in many places. So where's the balance on that? Help us understand what your thoughts are about that. Sure. And it's a great comment because on the one hand, we are always to be watching just as the word tells us that he who watches over Israel, the Lord neither slumbers nor sleeps. 
we are also to be spiritually awake because, as you know, part of the signs of the end of time is that First Thessalonians 4 tells us that the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a shout, the voice of the archangel, the trumpet blast. So you have this wonderful imagery of the ancient Galilean wedding fulfilled where in the ancient times the groom would come back for his bride. And those who were not awake and those who were not ready could not obviously go in. I'm speaking about the parable of the ten virgins in, uh, in the book of Matthew. Mm-hmm. So we are to be spiritually awake. At the same time, though, that also means, or the Bible indicates, that we should not rush, rush to judgment. Because the same Olivet Discourse that gives us all of these signs of the ends of the age also tells us where Jesus says that all about these things do not be alarmed. And, and, you know, the Bible says that these things must happen. So while I've heard many journalists uh, say that this was a surprise attack against Israel, and in terms of, of, uh, of, of army and war and defense, it certainly was, it should not be a surprise attack to any of us who are continually watching biblical prophecy unfold and realizing that if you really want to know what time it is that Israel has, it is, and it always will be the place to look at. Very interesting comment, and let me lead into my question this way. I hope it comes out and makes sense uh, the way I understand it in my own head. <laughs> but, it, you know, the, the term Maranatha, Lord, to come quickly, is speaks to me anyway of... Uh, a sense of anticipation and joy that one day we're going to see our Messiah. We're going to see Jesus face to face. Many Jews who have not received Jesus as Messiah will one day recognize Jesus is their Messiah and he's the savior of the world. And we get a chance to see the one who gave his very life for us. And that brings us a sense of joy, I think for most, but you know, when you, a lot of times in conversations about quote, the end times, people say, Oh, you know, that they have new chip card readers uh, and they're using them in stores and at the airport. And this all speaks to the, you know, the, the day of antichrist coming and the mark of the beast. And, and there's a sense of fear associated with it. On the other hand, um, the Bible says these things must take place. Like what I'm seeing in one sense is it's not even in a sense. So what I'm seeing is, is a, is the unfolding of biblical prophecy as you referred to earlier. So, Speak to that aspect of it, because as we watch world events unfold that have prophetic significance, they shouldn't be causing fear in us and help us to understand what our reaction should be. I think that's a great point, Neil. And not only should they not be causing fear, but I think that that any fear or concern that we do have can and should be minimized by properly interpreting the scriptures. And, and let me cite the example that you mentioned, for example, where many banks or, 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 or places are now using, obviously, the cards and, and uh, leading people, many people to say, okay, is this the mark of the beast where we're going to have a ship implanted under our skin? Uh, you know, are we seeing the, the shadow or the underpinnings of that now? And I would say it's good to be prudent. It's good to watch these things. But let's look very, very carefully at what the scriptures say, because many say, well, it's going to be implanted on the skin or, or, or put on the skin or implanted under the skin. And so you have this illustration by many of, of, of receiving a chip under, under the skin, and that would be, if you will, a mark of the last days and, and, and the coming of the Antichrist. But when Revelation speaks about this, it uses the term, the Greek term, karagma, 
which refers to a mark being, if you will, imprinted or emblazoned on top of the skin, not under it. I have to believe that if the Word of God intended us to, to recognize that it was be impl uh, implanted under the skin, it would have used the Greek word emphutos. And the Greek word emphutos, from where we get the word implanted, is not in there. So, sure. I think it's important we should be alert. I think it's also important to note that so many prophecies have been fulfilled, the most notable of which in the lifetime of son of some was the establishment of the state of Israel in 1948, a direct fulfillment of Isaiah 66, verses 7 and 8. So, yes, we need to be aware of things that are happening, and we need to watch the clock because things not only can race, quicker than they have in the past, but I believe they are racing quicker than they have in the past. You know, one of the prophets in, in the scripture even uh, uh, asked the question, can a man have a baby? Wouldn't it be crazy, and I'm paraphrasing here, to think that could be the case? And yet today, in our day and time, you have people who say, and it was even on a magazine cover from the UK, of a quote-unquote person who identified as a man holding their pregnant belly, if you will, saying, yes, men can have children. So we're living certainly in very interesting times. Yeah, troubling and interesting all rolled together. You know, we've got a couple of minutes left here, uh, Rabbi Jack, and I, again, want to encourage anybody who's listening to go to jewishvoice.org to learn more about Jack Zimmerman and his ministry. He's also... Um, the pastor, is that a correct term as a Jewish rabbi that you pastor a congregation? <laughs> I don't, oh, well, you, 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 yeah, I guess you could use that term. I am the, the what's called a messianic rabbi. That is a, uh, a rabbi, a, a, a Jewish rabbi who believes in the greatest Jew who ever lived as our Messiah, Savior, Lord, God, King, and everything, Jesus or okay. Yeshua. Right. <laughs> and so, yeah. All right. Well, you can learn more about his role as Messianic Rabbi at treeoflifecongregation.org. Um, I guess the last question here really just revolves around the fact that we are going to see Jesus face to face. Prophecy is clear on that. The Bible's clear. Christ is coming again. And, you know, I, I think that there's a sense of uh, among some like, well, how long can I continue to do my own thing before I sur truly surrender my life to Christ uh, versus the idea that we better be ready because we don't know the exact time that we're going to be seeing Jesus. And I wonder if you could provide some words of encouragement along those lines for those who are wondering, you know, how should I be living right this very second? What does what would God re require or desire of me right now? It, great, Neil. And it's interesting that you ask that question. Just as we have finished up the time of the high holy days, the Feast of Trumpets and the Day of Atonement, or Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, as illustrated in Leviticus 23, <clears throat> the time where we have entered the new Jewish New Year. It's the year 5784. And the, the uh, part of the understanding of these festivals of the High Holy Days is God is saying to the people, repent, engage in something called Teshuvah. It's the Hebrew word. It means turning. Turn away from your sin and turn to God and do it now and don't wait for now is the time. So, you know, in answer to your question of, well, 
you know, how much longer can we live the way that we want to and not necessarily live the way that God wants us to? And my response to that is not one more millisecond, particularly in the times we're living in. Let us draw unto the Lord and seek his faith. Amen. Amen. And Lord, I pray for Rabbi Jack Zimmerman and his ministry, the congregation of Tree of Life Congregation in Phoenix, Arizona. Those who are going to hear him uh, speaking as he travels around the U.S. and Canada and other places, and he'll be coming to our area, Lord willing, in the not-too-distant future. But Lord, I just thank you for those words of encouragement and challenge as well to live right and to make sure we turn from sin to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, the one who came to free us from sin and its grip in our lives. And we just ask, God, that we would be ready and at the same time sharing the good news of the gospel with those who need to hear it. So we thank you for this opportunity today on Canadian Thanksgiving Day. Thank you for this opportunity to talk about your goodness, your grace, your mercy, and pray for the people of uh, Jerusalem and Israel, Lord. We pray for peace. Uh, we pray for deliverance and ask God that you once again would show yourself strong by protecting uh, the people that you've chosen for yourself. And I, and, and I just ask God that we would remember to be vigilant in prayer, even as we live in relative comfort here in North America. Thank you, God, for what you're doing in our midst and all over the world to allow Jesus to be seen as who he really is, the King of kings and Lord of lords. And one day, every knee will bow, every tongue confess uh, that that is true to the glory of God the Father. Be glorified, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, uh, Rep, Jack, you're coming to our area soon. I think you may even stop by and be in studio. Is that in a few weeks? I don't remember what you told me about that. Yeah, you know what? That may be. Um, I'm going to see if I can switch my flight from Tuesday, October 31 <clears throat> to Monday, October 30. And if I can do that, uh, then I can uh, I can get to Buffalo. Uh, well, I can't get to Buffalo early, if you will, from Phoenix. But uh, I could certainly stop by the studio on that Tuesday morning, October 31, if that would work for you. Uh, we would love it. Would love to have you stop by and, uh, you know, further this conversation for the glory of God. All right. Well, safe travels. We'll look forward to talking to you again soon. God bless you. Neil, thanks so much. It's great talking with you again. Really appreciate uh, having me on the show, and uh, we'll touch base soon, okay? We will. God bless. Take care. Pastor Rabbi Jack Zimmerman, treeoflifecongregation.org, or find him at jewishvoice.org.